Scripture teaches us that supernatural love exists eternally in God. Therefore, if we claim to know God, then it only makes sense that our lives would be characterized by love. Welcome to the Radical with David Platt podcast, the latest sermons from teacher, author, and pastor David Platt delivered weekly. As always, we invite you to find thousands of more free resources over at our website, Radical.net. But today, continuing his Love Made Known series, David Platt points out the centrality of God's love in the Christian life, particularly as that love has been demonstrated in the death of Christ. For those who possess God's Spirit, God's love for us should cause us to respond in love for Him and for others. Here's David Platt with a sermon titled, A Love Relationship with God, from 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 through chapter 5, verse 5. If you have a Bible, and I hope you or somebody around you does, you can look on with. Let me invite you to open with me to 1 John chapter 4. Near the end of the Bible, 1 John chapter 4. As you're turning, I want to welcome those of you who are gathering with us in Montgomery County and Prince William and Loudoun down on Main Avenue. It's good to be together across Washington around God's Word. I actually just uh, got off a red-eye flight this morning from the last week in South Korea. So I am operating on not a lot of sleep and my body has no idea what time it is, which means, so I'm just offering a disclaimer. Uh, I'd, I'd like to ask you to overlook anything incoherent that might come out of my mouth. It is not, it's not necessarily the wisest thing to speak in front of thousands of people in a way that will be recorded when, when you really should be asleep. Uh, so uh, anyway, I was there with, uh, in South Korea with a few of our pastors, and I would just say, on a, on a side note, like when I or any other pastor for that matter, but travel to preach somewhere else, I, I want to be a faithful extension of you. I, I'm, I was saying to these churches in South Korea, McLean Bible Church in Washington, D.C. is with you. Like we are partners together in the spread of the gospel around the world. And it was really interesting. I actually ran into a couple of NBC members who were visiting there. So a variety of us from NBC were in South Korea this last week. And God did uh, an unusual work in my heart uh, the last few days in such a way that I want to kind of shift our, where we're going to go next week. And I want to share some of, some of what God showed me with you. So the next two weeks, actually, are set aside by many churches as Sundays to focus on and pray for uh, the persecuted church next Sunday and uh, orphans the following Sunday. So we're going to do both of those next week, Lord willing. We had already planned to focus some on and pray for the persecuted church, but I'm going to tie that into some things that I want to share just from my time on the Korean Peninsula the last few days. And then next week, Lord willing, we're going to focus on orphans and the opportunities we have to show right around us God's love as the father to the fatherless. Which leads right into 1 John 4 today, where I want to show you the love of God. I pray in a fresh 
way. But before we dive in there, let's do our memorization together. So 1 John 1, 1 through 7, we don't want to forget that. Memorizing this chapter of the Bible, one verse at a time. And it was so encouraging. So I met a woman in Korea. She lives a couple of hours south from Seoul. She had come up to where I was preaching. She listens to sermons here on podcast, and she is memorizing 1 John 1 with us. So be encouraged as you're memorizing scripture, you're encouraging sisters and brothers around the world to do the same. So let's, let's do this. You ready? I don't know why. I, I'm going to stop asking, are you ready? Because nobody ever says anything. It's just this <laughs> very discouraging lack of response every time. But maybe, maybe at the other campuses you were like, yes, we're ready. All right. So for, the, for you all, and a couple people here, uh, and feel free, feel free. If you got your Bible open, uh, just read along with us. Uh, it'll encourage us all and keep us on track. So First uh, John 1, 1 through 7, to the extent that you can... Let's say it together or read it. First uh, John 1, 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it. And proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Boom, that away. Like, I had to, like, make sure. I was like, seven, seven. How does it start again? How does it start again? Look down real quick. But, oh, seven verses. We're almost there. Like three more verses over the next three weeks. So even though we're going to kind of take a little bit of a detour the next couple of weeks, we won't stop and uh, memorization. So keep going. So First John 4, 7 is where we left off last week. And this text we're about to read is incredible. I've so I've been looking forward to walking through this passage with you. Hopefully you have notes in your bulletin here that you received when you came in and other campuses. So let's start at the top and then we're gonna dive into the text. But one overarching truth I want to show you today. The true Christian life is a love relationship with God. The true Christian life. And I use that language Remember, because throughout this letter, John is talking about false professors of Christianity, so people who claim to be Christians but are not. So how can you tell true profession of Christ from false profession of Christ? 
And what 1 John 4, 7 through 5, 5, we're about to read, teaches is that the true Christian life is a love relationship with God that is evident in someone's life. Like when you see a man in love with a woman or a woman in love with a man, it is evident in the way they relate to that person and the way they talk about that person. What I want to show you today is that the true Christian life is a love relationship with God that is evident in the way we relate to God and talk about God. So let's read this passage. And I just want you, I want to encourage you to observe, maybe even circle, underline, make a note every time you see the word love. And you do that, you will be doing a lot of work in what we're about to read. First John 4, 7, this is the word of God. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Does it not sound like a broken record? Like love, love, love. 32 different times than what we just read. 32 times. The true Christian life is a life of love. It is a love relationship with God. And John just keeps hitting this over and over from different angles and different perspectives. So, and we've seen this in this letter. John doesn't like move in a linear 
argument kind of style from point A to point B to point C and D and so on. Instead, it's more, it's more circular. It's almost like we're walking up a spiral staircase and looking at something in the middle from different perspectives and different angles as we go higher and higher and higher. So in this passage, what we're looking at is love. In different ways, from different perspectives, we just keep circling it. So what I've put in your notes is my attempt to capture all the different dimensions of love in our relationship with God that are taught here in this incredible text. So let's start with the primary truth that dominates everything the Bible is teaching us here. Everything God is saying here starts right here. God is love. He is Love, verse eight, verse 16, say that outright, which is a pretty powerful statement to say someone is love. I like to say David is love, as if David was synonymous with love. David is perfectly loving. That's, that's not true. I am, I am not always loving in every way. I'm not love. You couldn't say David is love. But you can say God is love. Love. Think about it. Supernatural love exists eternally in God. Like it exists in God. It finds its existence in him. It's in his nature to love. And it always has been. Like before time began, before the world was even created, God was Love. We've seen all over First John the Trinitarian nature of God, God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, God the Spirit. So before man or woman or anything else was even created to love, God was loving in and of himself. It's a part of his nature. Love is part of who he is. Just as the sun gives light because it is light and fire gives heat because it is heat, God is loving because he is love. Supernatural love exists eternally in him. And so it follows then, so this is in your notes there, supernatural love flows completely from God. It flows from God, which is what John says in the first verse we read. Chapter four, verse seven. Love is from God. It doesn't start with us. Love starts with God. Verse 10 says, this is love. Not that we loved God, but God loved us. Love started with him, not with us. In love, he sent his son to be the sacrifice for our sins, which, so don't miss this, that implies that we were not loving. Right? We are sinners against God. We have all turned aside from God. We have not been loving toward God. None of us has. We have all been defiant toward God. This is the primary problem in every single one of our lives. We have defied God instead of loving God. Supernatural love doesn't start with us. Natural rebellion starts with us. Which means, so follow this, this, is, this makes God's love totally different than the way we think about love. I was just kind of letting this soak in in my own life. I was thinking about the people I love most in this world. I think about my wife, Heather, our kids. So, so just think about Heather, my wife. I fell in love 
with her as a teenager. Do you know why? Because I thought she was lovely. And I was attracted to her beauty, like inside and out. I fell totally in love with her. I was doing all sorts of dumb things to try to impress her. Because I, 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 like I wanted her to love me because I thought she was lovely in a way that's only grown. So we'll celebrate 19 years for us of marriage this year. And she is more beautiful to me today than she ever has been in my eyes. So there's a sense in which my love for her, so follow this, my love for her was prompted by her loveliness and even by her love for me. The more she loves me, the more I love her. But this is not the way a relationship with God works. So I, I, I think we, my wife and I have a pretty healthy relationship, but this is, this is so much different, so much greater. So love and a relationship with God flows comp- completely from him. Because in our sinful nature, there is nothing in us that loves God. We are, we are prone to defy God. We don't desire God. We are not drawn to God. We are sinners that have turned from God in our lives. We desire so many other things in this world more than God, namely ourselves. So this is love. Not that we loved God, but that when we were totally unlovely, God loved us. Is this not awesome to think about? Like I, I talk with people who say, look at all that I've done in my life. Like there's no way God could love me. But there is. Because his love doesn't start with you. It starts with him. Ladies and gentlemen, there is no sin in you that is greater than God's love for you. Isn't that, isn't that good news? To a bunch of sinners here and other campuses right now and all kinds of things. There's no sin in you that is greater than God's love for you. God's love for you, just get this, this is totally different. It's not the way we think. God's love for you is not in any way dependent on you. God never says, I love you if. I love you because. God loves you. Why? Not because of what you do, but because of who he is. He loves you because he is love. Which also means his love for you does not grow. Do you know why not? Because it can't. It's perfect in the first place. So just feel what this means to Christian. You are totally free from any and every attempt to earn more love for you from God. God will never love you any less than he does right now. And he will never love you any more than he does right now. Because he loves you supernaturally. 
And his love flows from him, not from you. (laughs) Let this soak in. In a world where we are wired to love the lovely, God loves us when we are unlovely. In a world where all kinds of people will say, I will love you if you'll do this, if you'll do that. Where people love you when things are going well and don't love you when things aren't going well. In a world where in, in many of our lives, people have loved us for a little while and then left us. I think about husbands who have stopped loving their wives and vice versa for this reason or that. Parents who have left your home, who have loved you and then are not there anymore. Children who have rebelled against your home in a world of unpredictable, undependable love. The nature of God is 100% predictable and 100% dependable. He is love. And Christian, he loves you. Just let this soak in right now where you're sitting. He loves you with a perfect love. Like feel that right now. He loves you with a perfect love that is not dependent on your performance for him. It's dependent on his nature. And non-Christian visiting with us or exploring Christianity, Christianity, like we invite you to receive this love. Like right now, where you're sitting. I, I, was, uh, I took an Uber from the airport this morning to run home real quick and, and get cleaned up. And I, uh, uh, I was with this guy and he says, uh, he's asking where I'd come from. I told him I was coming from overseas. And he said, oh, it sounds like a long trip. At least you got all day to rest. I was like, ah, not really. Uh, uh, so I said, I'm a pastor. And uh, so it was great. He, he said, oh, you're a pastor. Hey, he said, uh, well, can you just, can you tell me what your message is? I was like, <laughs> you know, sometimes when you want to share the gospel, you're like looking for an end. It's not normal to just... Tell me your message. I just, that's, that's my leading question. <laughs> so I was like, uh, yes, I can tell you what my message is. And so I told, so here, if you're exploring Christianity, here's the message. Here's the message. Uh, the conversation I had this morning. We have all sinned against God. We're separated from God. We deserve separation from God forever. But God loves us. He has sent his son to pay the price for all of our sins. That's what propitiation means here. I didn't talk about propitiation this morning. But sacrifice for sins, I did talk about that. And uh, how Jesus has paid the price for our sins. He's died in our place took the judgment we deserve upon himself so that you and I can be forgiven of all of our sins and restored to a relationship with God. A love relationship with God forever. That's the message. It's a great message. I'll sleep tomorrow. I want to proclaim that message today. So I invite you to receive that love. You can receive that love right now. I was, I was praying this morning. Uh, I'm guessing there's some people who've been in church for years. But it's all been just motions. Like you've not received his love in a way that you have a love relationship with God. And I want to invite you to receive his love.
God is love. Receive the love of God in whom supernatural love exists eternally, from whom supernatural love flows completely. God is love. That leads to the, okay, so just kind of unpack then. All right, so what does that mean here? So follow this. The true Christian then, the one who has received this love has been born of God. Has been born of God. That's what verse seven says from the very beginning. Since love is from God, whoever loves has been born of God. Now he's talking here about the Christian, the follower of Jesus. This is obviously not saying that non-Christians can't show love in different ways. They certainly can. Even that, though, is ultimately from God. But when John talks about whoever loves, that language in this picture, he's talking about children of God who have received his love. This is what happened. Think about it. This is what happened when any one of us became a child of God, a follower of Jesus. God's spirit opened our hearts to his love. So Christian, God's spirit has opened our hearts to a love we could never deserve. Like somebody told us the message. Somebody told us the good news that God loved us so much that he sent his son to die on the cross for our sins. Verse 10 is propitiation. And when we heard that news, at some point in our lives, this is all of our story, at some point in our life, God opened our hearts to believe it. To realize that apart from his love, we were destined to die an eternal death. That we deserved hell. But God loves us and he's manifested his love for us. That's the language of verse nine, by sending his son to save us and we believe this, why? Verse 13, because the spirit of God caused us to see and now, so this is the language in verse 14, caused us to see and testify that the father sent the son to be the savior of the world. The spirit has opened our hearts to a love we could never deserve, which makes this gathering right now so unique, like so different. Like what qualifies us to be in the church today? Like a certain intellectual capacity? Socioeconomic status? political position, certain innate gifts or ability, like what, what makes this gathering across Washington happen right now? Here, it's none of those things. What brings us together is not one of us is qualified to be in the church. What unites us together is our sinfulness. We all deserve separation from God forever. But by his spirit, God has opened all of our hearts. So we're all the same in this, all of our hearts to a love none of us could ever deserve. So regardless of political position, socioeconomic status, intellectual capacity, innate gifts, our ability, we're all just overwhelmed by a love we don't deserve. So, and as a result, so as a result of God's spirit and God's son, we have now come to know the supernaturally loving God, the God who is love. We've come to know him as our father. We're born of him. He's our father. We're children. That's what we saw in 1 John 3, 1, right? See what kind of love the father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. So put this together, what we've already seen supernatural love exists eternally in God, right? Father loves the son, son loves the father, father and spirit love the spirit, father and son love the spirit, so on and on. So now you gotta see this, you gotta see this. Remember what Jesus prayed right before he went to the cross, way back in John 17. This is awesome, you've got to, to, to 
let this soak in. So I'm going to put it on the screen. John 17, 26. Listen to this. Jesus is praying to the Father. He says, I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Did you hear that? Jesus just prayed that the love the Father has for him as his son would be in those who follow him. Now, I want you to think about that. How much does God the Father love God the Son, Jesus? How about a lot? We'll just, we'll just put it that way. Like, perfectly, right? Fully, completely, unimaginably. Love for the Father, love for the Son. Like, that's, you can't get any greater love than that. And this, so this kind of love brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of God is the same love God has for you. God loves you like he loves Jesus, his son. Which means, so keep going, if God's love for the son is in us, then we have that kind of love of the father for the son as well. So the whole picture is God has invited all of us as his children into this Trinitarian fellowship of love, which is exactly what First John has been teaching all along, right? We're memorizing it. We, indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his what? Son. Our fellowship is with him. We're experiencing this kind of love relationship. Just like the Father and the Son, we're in the middle of this thing. The love they share, we share. Just think about this right where you're sitting right now. You have come to know the supernaturally loving God as your father, you as his son or daughter. Born of God. The true Christian has been born of God and now abides in God. So it just gets better in verse 15 and 16. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him. And he and God. Same thing in verse 16. We've come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. These are breathtaking words. For the true Christian, we abide, we live in God, and God abides, God lives in us. His spirit now dwells in our bodies in a way we can hardly fathom. Christian, God has given you a spirit, verse 13. His supernatural Holy Spirit living in you in a way you and I cannot even hardly comprehend. Like you are in God and God is in you. Amen. Which means we now walk with the supernaturally loving God as our friend with a capital F friend. <laughs> Back up to verse seven. Whoever loves, referring to the true Christian, the follower of Jesus, has been born of God and knows God. Christian, you you don't just go to church and do some stuff that makes you a good person. No, you know God as your friend. God as your friend. He's not as a distant deity 
but as a constant friend. This is mind-boggling. See see the description of the Christian, the true follower of Jesus in this passage. The true Christian has been born of God, now abides in God. God's spirit has opened your heart to a love you could never deserve, now dwells in your, your body in a way you can hardly fathom. And as a result, you know a supernaturally loving God as your father and you walk with the supernaturally loving God as your friend. So, so what does this mean for our lives? So what, right? This means everything for our lives. So let's trust in his supernatural love for us. Christian, brother or sister, let's trust in his supernatural love for us. Over and over again in this passage, you see an emphasis on believing in God's love for us in Jesus. Look at verse 16. So we've come to know and to believe the love God has for us. We believe the love God has for us. Later in chapter five, verse one, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of sin, the Lord of all, has been born of God. Verse five, the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God. So this is what makes us Christians. We believe in Christ. We believe, 1 John 4, 9, that God sent his son to die for us so we might live through him. We, we believe that. And we didn't just believe that one day in the past and kind of move on from our lives. No, we believe that today. That's what it means to be a Christian. Today, to believe in the supernatural love of God for you. I love the way verse nine puts it. God sent his only son into the world, why? So that we might live through him. Yes, God sent his son to die for us so we might live through him. That means for the Christian, Jesus is now our life. He's our life. He's not part of your life. That's not Christianity. Part of your life over here, and you got work, you got family, you got sports, you got recreation, you got Jesus. And no, no, no. Like Jesus is your life. He is your every. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. He is your life. Six times from verses 9 through 16, John talks about uh, how our lives are just saturated by Jesus. This is Galatians 2:20, right? I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. Amen. The life I now live, I live in the flesh. By faith in the Son of God, Jesus, who loved me and gave himself for me. He's my life. Jesus is your life. So Christian, brother, sister, then let's live by faith in him, believing in him, trusting in Jesus as your life every single day. Just bring it down to the practical for you to trust Jesus as your strength this week. Trust Jesus as your joy this week. I was talking with somebody in the lobby before this gathering, just in tears, just going through some challenges in life right now and lacking joy and just praying over them that they might trust in Jesus for joy because this, this, trust in the things of this world for joy, you're gonna go up and down. Trust in Jesus for joy, you always, always have it. He's joy. Trusting in Jesus is your peace. Trusting in Jesus for your wisdom. Trusting in Jesus is your hope and your confidence. The more we know Jesus as our life, the more we will trust Jesus with our life. 
So live by faith in him, trusting in his love for you. He didn't just love you 2,000 years ago. He loves you today. You can trust his love 2,000 years ago and you can trust his love today. So live by faith in him with nothing to fear. This is verse 17 and 18. By this is love perfected with us so we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also we are in this world. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We have, Christian, we have nothing to fear before God our Father. We are forgiven of our sins by faith in Jesus. I, and I, I, and I, I'm encouraged like, to hear you respond that way because... Uh, I think many Christians kind of live in a state of low-level feelings of shame before God. Even fear of God, like, like hesitant to go before God because just kind of convinced he's disappointed in us. And, and there's almost a uh, a hesitancy to go into his presence to pray. And uh, I just want you to hear what the Bible's teaching. Because, Jesus, because as he is, so also we are. As Jesus is, so also we are. Just as Jesus is. So d- does Jesus cringe, hesitate to go into the presence of the Father? Does, is, is Jesus like distant from the Father? No, no, no. Like Jesus, he reveres the Father, he honors the Father, but he knows he is welcome with the Father. And there's no shame in Jesus before the Father. And there's no fear in Jesus before the Father. In that sense, like in Christian Jesus is your life. Amen. You're in him. So you, don't have, you don't have shame before the Father. Your shame has been covered by the blood of Jesus. Amen. You have his righteousness before the Father. As he is, so are you. So yes, revere God, honor God, but no, no, live in this reality. You're loved by God, which means you have nothing to fear. I, I've seen surveys in our church family and fear is at the top of the list of struggles in our church. I just want to shout this, but I'll just I'll say it simply and pray. Just pray that God, by his spirit, will let this truth seep deep into your heart. When you are supernaturally loved by the sovereign God over this world, you have nothing to fear in this world. When when you just let it see Deep, like when you are supernaturally loved by the sovereign God over this world, you have nothing to fear in this world. Perfect love casts out fear. So how do you fight fear in you? Put this together. Perfect love casts out fear. So how do you fight fear in you? 
with trust in God's love for you. Fight fear in you with trust in God's love for you. God is supernatural love. We're born of him. We abide in him. So Christian, let's trust like every day, every moment in his supernatural love for us. Things are not going well. I'm trusting in your love. This is Christianity. Let's trust in his love and then to keep going and let's obey out of supernatural love for him. So now is where we see the relationship between all this talk about love and obedience to God's commands. So it's summarized maybe most clearly down in chapter five, verses two and three. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not Burdensome. Oh, I love this. You got to see what this means. So we love God by obeying God. We obey God out of love for God. So there's love and obedience just go together in this picture in a way that I think we often miss. I think many times Christians think of obedience to God almost with a negative connotation. Like, my kids, for example, don't always think of obedience positively. They're not always smiling in obedience. Why? Because, well, in certain circumstances, they, they think their ways are better. Their ideas are better. They want to do what they think instead of what I say. And even if they obey at that point, it's a begrudging obedience and they make that clear, right? I, I, I wonder if this is how many people, I think it's how many people live the Christian life. I, we don't really want to obey God's commands, but we know we're supposed to. So we do our best. We're good at trying to find loopholes where we can. I mean, he didn't say like that specifically, right? Because we, we really like our ways better than his. But that is the opposite of the Christian life according to God's design. God has designed obedience to his commands to be the overflow of this relationship with you that is driven by what? Love. Love, which means his commandments are not burdensome. What a great phrase. His commandments are not burdensome. What does that mean? So follow this. God's commands would be burdensome if either one or of two things, or both of them for that matter, but even if just one of these things was true, God's commands would be burdensome. Okay, so follow this. One, God's commands would be a burden if we couldn't do them, right? Like if God was commanding you to do something and you couldn't do it, and that would feel like a burden, Somebody tells you to do something you can't do. That, that feels very burdensome. So here's the beauty of 1 John 4 and 5, particularly verse 5 here in chapter 5. We have, Christian, we have power to obey God's commands. We have power to obey. Chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Oh, this is great. The root word for both overcome and victory there in the original language of the New Testament is uh, Nike, N-I-K-E, from which we get what sports brand? <laughs> Nike. Like, who knew Nike was a biblical? <laughs> it's like preaching 
everywhere it is. So when you, when you read this word, picture an athlete triumphantly crossing a finish line, scoring a touchdown, hitting a home run, winning a game. This is how the Bible describes the Christian in his or her battle with sin in this world. You are a victor. Through faith in Jesus, you have victory over sin. Like you are facing battles with sin, just picture. Boom, spiking the ball, flipping the bat, running around the base. Victory. <laughs> that's a great picture. That's, that's what Jesus has made possible for you and your battles with sin. You think about it, right? You have his power in you. God abides in you. God abides in you. Just, I dropped the mic. God abides in you, Christian, which means you have power to overcome sin. Remember, who's your life? Jesus is your life. And Jesus has conquered all sin and all temptation, which means his victory can be your victory over sin. God's commands are not burdensome because we have power to obey them. Amen. Which then leads to us to the, okay. But then there's a second way God's commands might be burdensome. And that would be if you don't want to obey them. So even if you can do them, if God gave you commands you don't want to do, then that would feel like a burden. But they are not burdensome. God's commands are not burdensome. Why? Follow this, not just because we have power to obey them, but because we find pleasure in obeying them. We find, the Christian finds, pleasure in obeying God's commands. So many Christians view God's commands as a duty we need to keep, like a religious obligation we need to follow in order to save our skin in eternity. But deep down inside, we really... We really just want to live like the rest of the world. But that is not Christianity. I put it all with what we've seen today. Like God is love, supernatural love. The Christian is a child of God, born of God, who calls God Father, knows God as friend, believes, trusts in God's supernatural love for him or her, which means that when a Christian hears a command from God, he or she knows that command is driven by love. He or she knows that this command comes from a perfectly loving father who always, always, always knows what is best. So what does the Christian do? The Christian thanks God for that command. Like, thank you for leading me in a way that's best. Thank you for not hiding that from me. Like, thank you, thank you, thank you for your commands. And the Christian works to obey that command, not out of a sense of duty, but out of a sense of delight. That's a very way, different way to think about commands. So, just practically, when you hear the command to sexual purity that is radically different than what you hear in this world, you don't think, I can't do this. And you don't think, I don't want to do this. Why? Because you know God abides in you. Jesus is your life. You can resist this temptation. And you want to. Why? Because you trust that God's ways are so much better than the ways of this world. And you believe that true pleasure, true, real, lasting pleasure is not found in the ever hollow, always fading, empty promises of sin, but in the always good, always faithful promises of God. Amen. So see it, see it. 
every single temptation you face, do that way. How do you, how do you fight sin? By focusing on God's love for you. Like believing his ways are better. His love is good. It gives you desire to obey him. So see it now. We obey God. Why? To earn his love? No. We obey God because he loves us. And we trust his love for us. Love drives obedience. Which leads to the last overall exhortation in these verses. So let's trust in his supernatural love for us, obey out of supernatural love for him, and let's display his supernatural love for others. Let's display his supernatural love for others. So this is, this, as we're going up the staircase, uh, John starts here and he keeps coming back here. First words in verse seven, beloved, let us love one another. Verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Verse 20, 21, if anyone says I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. First John 5, 1, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. In other words, like we've seen in previous weeks, the love of the Father is reflected in the love of the family for one another. And the truth in all of this is really pretty simple. When the supernatural love of God abides in you, the supernatural love of God overflows from you. It's, it's pretty simple, right? If somebody has the love of God in them, it's abiding in them. It's part of who they are. And that will affect how they live. So when verse 11 says we ought to love one another, that doesn't mean I don't really want to, but I guess I ought to. That, that's not what the Bible's saying here. I love what one preacher said. He said, when John says ought to, he means ought the way fish ought to swim in water. And birds ought to fly in the air. And living creatures ought to breathe. And, preacher, and peaches ought to be sweet. And lemons ought to be sour. Because that's who they are. It's what they do by nature of who they are. So when I say you ought to breathe today, you don't think, ah, okay, if I have to, I'll work on it. No, you're like, okay, <laughs> thanks. It's kind of what I do as a human, as a Christian. You ought to love one another. Yeah, it's kind of who we are. It's kind of what we do. It's overflow of what it means to be born of God and God's abiding in us. We, we ought to love with the same love of the Father who sent his son to lay down his life for the world. So brothers and sisters, let us lay down our lives in self-denying love for the church. There's a clear emphasis in this passage on brothers and sisters, other children of the Father, our spiritual family. God desires McLean Bible Church, every one of our congregations individually and then collectively and the churches we plant, for that matter, to be outposts of love, self-denying love all over the church. And men and women who put aside their preferences and their plans, their possessions even, in love for brothers and sisters in the church. And 
and love for people who need to hear the good news of God's love and see it in action in the world through our lives and through our families and through the church. So let's pour out our loves and risk taking love for the world. And risk taking is the right description. Remember back in chapter three, verse 16, Jesus laid down his life for us. So we ought to lay down our lives for others. Lay down your life for others. Yeah, that's kind of what we do. We ought to lay down our lives in self-denying love for the church. So I would just ask you, as a follower of Christ, how are you doing that? Just examine your heart in light of what God is saying today and ask, how am I laying down my life for brothers and sisters in Christ? We ought to pour out our lives and risk taking love for the world. So how are you doing that? Who in your sphere of influence who doesn't know Jesus are you pouring out your life so that they might know Jesus? They might have life in him. That's the overflow of a love relationship with God. So I guess that's the bottom line question. So the true Christian life is a love relationship with God. I would ask every person in this room and other campuses right now then just to examine your heart. Like, How is your love relationship with God right now? One, do you have one? Do you have a genuine love relationship with God? Not do you go to church, do good things. Right? All kinds of people go to church and do good things. Like, do you have a love relationship with God? And if your heart does not resound with a yes to that question, then I invite you today to enter into that kind of relationship with the God of the universe. If you do, then what, what might need to happen in your life for that love relationship with God to grow, to deepen, to flourish more and more and more? Again, not in such a way that what do you need to do to earn more love from God? No, he is love but as a response to his love. What, what might he be calling you to do, to do? To trust his love more, to obey and delight in his commands more, and to show his love to others as we ought. Let's pray. Oh God, we praise you for you are love your love, your perfect love, and we worship you. And we thank you for your love for us. God, I pray that today your spirit might open hearts to receive a love that none of, none of us could ever deserve. And I pray that you would bring people today to a love relationship with you for the first time. God, please may it be so. And then, oh God, for all of your children, for brothers and sisters, your sons and daughters who have trusted in your love, I pray that you would draw them deeper into this relationship that you have designed for them with you. God, help us to be a people who experience 
the height, depth, breath, wonder of a love relationship with you on a day in, day out basis. More and more and more and more we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As today's episode comes to a close, we just want to thank you for joining us today on Radical with David Platt. But don't forget, if you would like to watch today's full sermon or download the audio or the free discussion questions, you can do all that and more at our website, Radical.net. There you can find books, articles, other podcasts like David's daily devotional podcast called Pray the Word and hundreds of articles on a variety of topics. Again, it's all at our website, free to you at Radical.net. We just want to remind you that this upcoming April will be our 19th Secret Church gathering, and we hope you'll make plans to join us. Over 10 years ago, David Platt spent time teaching through the Bible with an underground or secret church, and he was forever changed. When he returned, he started a unique gathering called Secret Church. At Secret Church, we meet for an intense time of Bible study and prayer for our brothers and sisters around the world who are facing persecution for their faith in Jesus. And as we say, if you want to know God more deeply through his word and know his church more fully around the world, then Secret Church is designed for you. Secret Church 19 is on April 26th, 2019. And the topic that David Platt will be covering is prayer, fasting, and the pursuit of God, a much anticipated topic. And registration for Secret Church 19 is open right now. So head over to secretchurch.org to learn more. You can join David Platt in person in Washington, D.C., or join tens of thousands literally around the world through the live simulcast experience that night on April 26th. Again, you can learn more and sign up at secretchurch.org. Well, I'm your host, Thomas Bowen, and until next time, join us at Radical.net.